Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking. That's right. I said good morning because right now I am in my office. I am not as busy as I was a little while ago. It is 8 a.m., and we are recording our show because why the hell not? Today I will be talking about AEW's Double or Nothing. And the recent happenings in AEW over the last week or so, because there's been a lot going on in all elite wrestling. Um, first, before we start, I want to let you guys know that I am once again thankful for all of the views, listeners, fans, friends, everyone that reaches out to me via Facebook and through Messenger, letting me know how much they like the show. I truly appreciate you guys, and I thank you for the continued to to support this podcast and every podcast on the WrestleNet Radio and We Can't Wrestle podcast umbrella and family. Uh, Also, a show update for a new show that's coming out with my buddy, Mark Brew. You may remember Mark joining me here on If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking for a few episodes, and he was a great partner to be had, but... Mark will be going ahead and doing his own show here on the WrestleNet radio show and should be debuting sometime this coming week. Um, it is Mark's Indie Markout. Um, it should be a fantastic show. I won't go into a lot of detail, but Mark will be giving you the ins and outs of the indie industry. So make sure you check out Mark's show. Make sure that you support him just as you support myself. Nate Maxson, Aaron Maxson, David Gold, and everybody here on the We Can't Wrestle podcast family. With that being said, the quick hits will come at the ending of the show tonight, uh, or today, excuse me. <laughs> Used to uh, filming this at about 8 or 9 p.m., not 8 or 9 a.m., um, but they'll be happening at the ending of the show because, well, they have to do with stuff that went on on Dynamite and Rampage. And we are starting out with AEW's Double or Nothing. So here goes nothing. Uh, The buy-in begins, and we get a healthy dose of recap for the feuds and matches we will see here tonight on Double or Nothing. We then get ready for our opening match here on the buy-in, and it is Hookhausen, Danhausen and Hook, the son of Taz, taking on Tony Nese and Mark Sterling. Mark Sterling is not a wrestler in any way, shape, or form, but he is a wrestling personality. And um, I have to say, Mark didn't do a terrible job in the lines of a Jim Cornette or a uh, Paul Heyman, even Howard Finkel back in the day. Mark Sterling did as a wrestling manager, manager should do. Uh, bumped, took some shots, hit a couple of moves his own self that looked a little sloppy, but that was meant to happen. And uh, he and Tony Nese put on a pretty decent showing here. But the crowd was heavily behind uh, Hook and Danhausen. Uh, this new young team of um, the badass from Red Hook, the son of Taz, and wrestling's Joker. I did not say wrestling's joke. No, I consider Danhausen a fine mix of comedy and actual wrestling. So I think they did a fantastic job. Hook. Hit his suplex, locked on the Kata Hajime, or as he calls it, the Red Death. Got the win for his team here. And like I said, a nice mix of comedy and wrestling 
throughout. You've got Tony Nese, who is an incredible athlete, and Hook, who is an incredible athlete, mixed in with the joking of Dan Housen and Mark Sterling. Nice mix to start off the show and get the fans involved. Our pay-per-view then starts, and it's a little weird here that we're being opened up by one of the biggest feuds that's been going on, MJF versus Wardlow. Now, throughout the few days before Double or Nothing, there were reports that MJF had a heated conversation with Tony Khan about wanting more money, about wanting to renegotiate his contract, or that he would be leaving. Tony, not being the uh, most respectful businessman, apparently blew MJF off. And um, MJF supposedly boarded a plane and left Las Vegas. That was not the truth. Uh, it just seems that a plane ticket was placed in his name and he didn't leave. So many people are saying that this was done to punish MJF for not being there for a meet and greet and making them think that he would no-show. Um, in any indication, MJF basically ran around the ring. Um, he gave Wardlow a poke in the eyes, bit him on the forehead. Wardlow finally caught him and hit five power bombs to destroy MJF and win the match in about six minutes. Um, again, they said that this was done, reports online, that this was done to punish MJF and um, to uh, show him that you don't, you know, no show. Uh, I think this is being done to heighten the storyline. Of course, no one expected MJF to actually really beat down Wardlow unless he had help from Sean Spears. Um, so I think this was just done to get Wardlow even more over to beat his antagonizer and push the storyline that now Wardlow is all elite, which he is. He can safely sign a all elite wrestling contract in kayfabe and move on with his career. More on MJF later. We then go to a, as they build it, a dream tag team match. And in my opinion, maybe a few years ago when it happened the first time, uh, we have the Hardy Boys taking on the Young Bucks. And one second. Uh, there's been a lot of mind games. The Hardy Boys calling the Young Bucks uh, Hardy cosplayers and saying they'd use them as a stepping stone. Uh, the Young Bucks bringing out Gangrel and dressing like the Hardys when they were the new brood. Um, fantastic uh, mind games being played, in my opinion. Um, the Hardys were the Hardys throughout the match. Jeff taking some risks that he didn't need to take and looking pretty banged up throughout the match. The Young Bucks were the Young Bucks as well. Uh, a lot of high-flying moves, uh, you know, that roller coaster type of match where it goes from all the way low down to all the way high up and then a drop, you know. Uh, we saw the super kick party a couple of times, and ultimately what it came down to was Matt and Jeff pushing more, showing their resiliency, and we saw the twist of fate followed by the Swanton bomb. The Hardy Boys do get the win. Many people are saying that Jeff is still banged up and has been since the Darby Allen match, so that Jeff is going to now take a small sidestep and recuperate for a couple of weeks, and then he and Matt are going to truly attempt to challenge for the World Tag Team titles. Now, the funny thing about that is, as we know, the manager or coach for Jurassic Express 
is Christian Cage. If Christian Cage is at ringside during a Hardy Boys match against Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, it could end up lending to a lot of history and a lot of, um, well, downright heelish moves from Christian to help his boys keep the titles. That's the way I'd like to see the storyline play out anyway. Maybe Christian pulling off a little underhanded tactics without Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus knowing. And then finally, him going full heel and them having to make a decision. Speaking of making a decision, Anna Jay came out to help Chris Statlander uh, from a beatdown from Jade Cargill and the baddies. So she earned herself a shot at the TBS title. And it was Jade versus taking, taking on Anna Jay one on one. This was not the best match on the card. Um, not trying to crap on anyone in any way. Anna Jay was a tad bit rushing uh, and a little sloppy. Jade trying to slow her down, but also being a little sloppy in her own way had some problems as well. Both women were not communicating that well, and it ultimately was just a pile of move after move after mistake after move after mistake, even coming down to the ending. We had two debuts during this match, one of them being the former Malcolm Bivens, now known as Stokely Hathaway his former name in uh, Ring of Honor. And uh, he came out and distracted Anna Jay because she looked at the uh, rampway and like got confused and was like, who are you? What are you doing here? It allowed Jay to lock on a jaded from the top rope, hit that amazing top rope glam slam that we've seen Beth Phoenix do before. It looked great. The, the, the ending was actually pretty damn good. The jaded from the top rope, uh, help to finally sell this match. Jade gets the win. She's now 31-0. and 0. Uh, Talk about a Goldberg-like uh, winning streak for the TBS Women's Champion. Uh, Jade and her baddies, Kira Hogan and Red Velvet, along with Stokely Hathaway, who is now her representative. Apparently, Mark Sterling wasn't getting the job done. Uh, stand in the ring and look like they're about to beat down Anna Jay. Chris Statlander ended up coming out to Anna Jay's um, side and to bring it to two, two, four, two on four. Um, And then the music hit and we get the second debut of the match, which is the former Ember Moon, Athena, the fallen goddess. Um, Athena hit the ring. She had that clever smile on her face that we know that she used to do even in her indie days in WWE. That, that shit-eating grin of, yeah, I'm here. And I've been challenging you, Jade, for the last couple of months online so we could finally get to that match. So, little sloppy of a match. Decent ending. Two decent debuts. Not a bad night so far here on Double or Nothing. Uh, Death Triangle took on the House of Black. Um, Buddy Matthews is an absolute specimen. One of the best wrestlers I've seen in a very long time. This man can cut and make weight or put on mass in a pretty decent amount of time. And I don't mean that in any way, in a bad way, saying like, you know, maybe he's juicing or something like that. No, but he knows how to work out and get his body in shape in order to be whatever he is needed to be in a match. Um, For instance, in this match, he was almost the enforcer. 
uh, because <laughs> Brody King was putting on a display of high-flying ability that I've never seen from a man his size, and Alistair Black was putting on that dark facade that he has and does so well uh, and using those judo kicks and throws throughout the match. On the other side of the ring, you've got Pac, the man that uh, gravity forgot, a bastard who can pretty much do it all in the ring. You've got Pentagon, who, in my opinion, is only one step away from possibly being a serious contender to any world title. And you've got Phoenix, again, another serious contender to any world title. And one of the damn great tag teams in this business who were just lighting up their opponents with shots, kicks, punches, and crazy innovative offense. All six men did a fantastic job. It ultimately came down to that while uh, Pac was on the middle rope, lights went out, and there she is, Julia Hart. When the lights come back up, she finally joins the House of Black, spitting the black mist in the eyes of uh, Pac. Pac is then taken out and pinned, and the House of Black is now four strong uh, with Julia Hart, who I kind of have to say I like her turn uh, in this regard. She stayed with the Varsity Blonde for quite some time. She did all she could there, but as the um, effects of what Alistair Black did to her eye uh, continued to torment her, she finally turned, took about a month and a half, but it was really well done, and I'm curious to see what they're going to do with her from here on out. Samoa Joe and Adam Cole then went one-on-one -on -one in the men's Owen Hart uh, tournament. These two put on an incredible show. Uh, many people are saying that um, the show stealer, in their opinion, was uh, O'Reilly and Allen. Some people are saying it was Thunder Rosa and uh, Serena Deeb. In my opinion, it was this one. Because what you have here is two guys who basically come up the same way. Samoa Joe, the Indies, Ring of Honor, Impact, WWE, now AEW. Adam Cole, the Indies, Ring of Honor, New Japan, WWE in the NXT uh, division, and then AEW. Same path, basically. They both paid their dues. They got their shots in here tonight. It was a stiff-looking match, but it was worth it. It was that hard style you want to see from both these guys. Joe with a back elbow, uh, right hands, shots, suplexes. Cole doing everything he can to put Joe down. Super kicks, knee strikes, uh, the the uh, Panama Sunrise. Absolutely incredible matchup here. Joe and Cole went toe-to-toe -to -toe for about 20 minutes. Cole finally got the win. Little bit of underhanded tactics here because Bobby Fish was uh, looming around ringside and trying to get involved. Cole gets the win after his boom knee strike to the back of the head. And Adam Cole has won uh, the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament. But wait, there's more. We immediately go to the ring for the women's Owen Hart Tournament matchup. And it's Ruby Soho taking on Britt Baker in the finals. 
And I must say that Ruby Soho has honed her craft since joining AEW. Things that the WWE were not allowing her to do. Um, finally breaking out and showing her true character. <coughs> and showing that she is a force to be reckoned with in any women's division. Britt Baker being, in my opinion, the face of AEW's women division. Uh, and you could like it. You don't have to. You could hate it. It's up to you. It's why we all are wrestling fans. We to have an opinion. But Britt Baker continues to show that she has grown into an incredible wrestler and one of the best heels that they have. Throughout the entire match, she antagonized uh, Ruby Soho, pushing her down, telling her she couldn't beat her, that she's never beaten her, and that you know she should just give up. Ruby, to her credit, fought back harder and harder and harder. And looked like she had the match won on more than one occasion. But Britt Baker finally hit Ruby Soho with that shot. <laughs> that crazy-looking double stomp. And I will say this. Britt is no Seth Rollins when it comes to hitting the double stomp in any way, shape, or form. But she gets it done. She hit it. She locked on the locked jaw. Ruby finally succumbed. And we have our men's and women's Owen Hart tournament champions. It is Britt Baker and her real-life boyfriend, Adam Cole, which I thought was a little predictable. I will say that. After two great matches, 40 minutes, I'm not saying that Samoa Joe and Ruby Soho deserve to win any more than Adam and Britt did, but I am saying that maybe that there could have been some differentiating in that we didn't need both of them to win here. Uh, Cole, <clears throat> it didn't have to be Adam Cole. It could have been Kyle O'Reilly versus Samoa Joe, and you go with Kyle and Britt winning, or Ruby and Joe winning. It, it, but in any indication, both get the win after the match. Martha Hart presents them with the Owen Hart Championship belts. Both are fantastic-looking titles. They are modeled after the Calgary Stampede uh, Championship, uh, which is Owen Hart's family's wrestling promotion in Canada, if you didn't know. Unbelievable Martha Hart pouring out such adulation for the fans, for AEW, for Pro Wrestling Tees, for giving Owen his spot back in wrestling that she wanted him to be in. Uh, you know, many of us know that Owen was in the WWF and a WWF guy. He didn't even leave when Brett left for WCW. Um, but because of every ounce of hatred that she has for Vince McMahon and company, she chose AEW to put out the figure, Pro Wrestling Tees to put out the T-shirt, and AEW to host the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament. We then go to six-man tag team action, and it's Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, and Paige Van Zandt taking on Sammy Guevara, Frankie Kazarian, and Tay Conte. <coughs> I will say this with all truth and honesty. Paige, Sky, and Van Zandt were fantastic. The heel side of things definitely held this match down. And I get that there were supposed to be 
miscommunication between Sammy and Frankie throughout this match because of Tay's involvement and all she was doing and, you know, acting dumb and, you know, jumping up on the ringside, uh, uh, you know, the ring apron when she shouldn't have been in the match at that point in time. Frankie getting distracted and pissed off, but it was just sloppy. And in my opinion, Sammy Guevara and Tay Conte have taken on the most hated role that was owned by Cody and Brandy Rhodes. And they're going a step further than I think Cody and Brandy would have gone. And the fans are really pretty much just saying, look, we don't like you. It's not that we hate your wrestling ability. It's not that we hate your wrestling personalities. We don't like the two of you because of your cocky attitudes. That's fine and well, but it's getting in the way of the wrestling, in my opinion. <clears throat> the um, heel team of uh, Paige Sky and Van Zandt got the win after continued miscommunication. Sammy hitting a super kick on Tay Conte by mistake when Frankie ducked out of the way. And Sky and Paige finally putting Frankie Kazarian away for the one, two, three. We then go to the ring for a uh, matchup with a little bit of a past history here. It's Kyle O'Reilly taking on Darby Allen and Darby looking for revenge on Kyle taking out Sting, injuring the knee of the Stinger. This was a decent matchup. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly is a great mat-based MMA-style fighter. And then you've got Darby Allen who's willing to put his body on the line for any reason possible. Uh, what it ultimately came down to was uh, these two guys fighting in what looked like a train wreck because by the end of the match, Pilot Kyle O'Reilly was really, really beaten down. Chest was red, face was red. He looked like he just got hit by a two by four. And Darby Allen left in a heap at the, uh, you know, in the middle of the uh, mat, like Kyle had just, you know, kicked his head off, a la Daniel uh, Bryan. Kyle O'Reilly gets the win after a King Kong knee, knee drop. Fantastic matchup, though. I know I said decent, but what I meant was in that this matchup started off slow. It got faster. It got faster like a train going forward. And then these two guys really kicked it into high gear. That it ended up being a fantastic matchup. As I said, people are saying that Kyle and Allen stole the show. Thunder Rosa and Deep sold the show. In my opinion, though, it was Samoa Joe and Adam Cole. Some people are even making the argument that it was Death Triangle versus House of Black that was the showstopper. But I have to say that any four of those matches were absolutely fantastic. Kyle O'Reilly gets the win. Uh, Darby Allen cannot vindicate Sting, and I got a feeling that we'll see the Stinger back sooner rather than later, uh, and maybe a little bit of a feud with the... Uh, Undisputed Elite. We then go to the women's world title matchup as Serena Deeb de tries to take the title from defending champion Thunder Rosa. And this was, in my opinion, the first actual wrestling match that we saw on the card. What I mean by that is there was no real high-flying moves in this match. It was basically grounded throughout Serena Deeb is a fantastic wrestler. Um, moves in and out of submission holds uh, just as good as anybody I've ever seen. Uh, her appliance of the Tequila Sunrise, uh, a la Conan, uh, and the Texas Cloverleaf uh, 
like her mentor Dean Malenko showed her were fantastic and her innovative offense is incredible and then you got Thunder Rosa who can go 100 miles an hour for 100 minutes and then just keep going Thunder has been a fantastic champion although a little underutilized and she showed why she should be used more and more as a face of the AEW women's division Thunder Rosa battled back on countless uh, moments here in this matchup, holding out, not submitting to the submission style of Serena Deeb. And then she ultimately hit what looked like a top row brain buster, held on, flipped it over, and then hit her Thunder Fusion driver in the middle of the ring to get the win after 25 brutal minutes in there with Serena Deeb. Now, their feud was a little slow, bur- a little bit of a slow burn, and at times was getting a little boring because Serena was constantly blaming others uh, throughout the uh, build for this matchup. Dustin Rhodes, Tony Schiavone, you name it. And um, it, it wasn't really paying off until we got to the match. These two women killed it. They did everything they had to do in there. And I do hope that we see another match between them somewhere down the line. And then, ladies and gentlemen, it was time for anarchy in the in the arena. We've got the Jericho Appreciation Society, dumbest name ever, taking on the Blackpool Fight Club and the team of Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. Um, Ultimately, what this came down to was before anybody actually made a real ring entrance, they were fighting. Yes, the JSA walked to the ring all in white, all of the Backstreet Boys, and um, then waited for Mox, Danielson, Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz to come out, and then this big brawl ensued. The thing that I find hysterical is that for the first six minutes of this matchup, Wild Thing was still playing on the, uh, you know, en- entrance uh, theme area of the arena. You could still hear it playing as day. And it was starting to get a little annoying because it just kept starting and stopping and restarting and stopping. And all I kept thinking was, whose idea was this to let the music still play? <laughs> a lot of violent action in this one. We saw coolers being thrown at each other between Mox and Chris Jericho. Eddie Kingston got busted open the hard way. Daniel Garcia got dismantled and pretty much left for dead by Eddie Kingston. Uh, 2.0, Daddy Magic and whatever their names are, those two guys that were once in NXT, um, just were used as punching bags by Santana and Ortiz. Jake Hager, the monstrous MMA fighter that he is, just ran through everybody that he could until he came up against Mox, and then Mox destroyed him. Daniel Bryan and, uh, excuse me, Bryan Danielson, I should say, and Chris Jericho, Mox tore each other apart. The standout of this matchup, though, in my opinion, was Bryan Danielson because he did everything that he said he was going to do and then some, and... He had the crowd eating out of the palm of his hand. He finally locked in the uh, yes lock, the label lock in the middle of the ring. 
and then Eddie Kingston looking like a zombie who just came out of the grave, covered in blood, came to the ring with gasoline, stepped into the ring, which now had the top rope broken, and proceeded to spill gas all over Chris Jericho and Brian Danielson, and then pulled out a lighter. Brian Danielson, not wanting to be burnt alive, decided to start beating the shit out of Eddie Kingston. <laughs> I thought this was funny because Kingston promised to hurt Jericho badly, and then what it led to was uh, Kingston and um, Danielson end up fighting. In any indication, it led to Jake Hager getting back in the match. He put Mox through a table with barbed wire on it. He took out Kingston and then Jericho and uh, Hager thought they had the match won. Well, no. Danielson fought back again, kicked Jericho's fucking head off, as he said, and almost had the match won again. Thanks to Jake Hager one more time with a baseball bat. Danielson gets taken out, and the JSA get the win over the uh, Blackpool Combat Club and uh, Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. Gruesome matchup, but definitely a, a perfect blend of violence and um, downright hatred for one another. We then go back up to the ring, and this is the three-way dance for the AEW World Tag Team titles, and I guess that they thought... Well, we just had a 10-man tag. We got to bring the fans down a little bit, so let's go with a six-man tag. Uh, a three-way dance between six men. In my opinion, they, these two matches should have been spaced out a little bit. But <clears throat> I will say that uh, Keith Lee and uh, Shea, Shane Strickland do a fantastic uh, job as a tag team. They were almost born to be together. You've got that uh, fast, scrappy high flyer, and then that big, brutish monster in Keith Lee and Shane Strickland. Um, and then you look at Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs, and they're almost a mirror of that team. Uh, Ricky Starks is this chihuahua-like almost badass. And what I mean by that is he doesn't just bark. He can fight. And then you've got Powerhouse Hobbs, <laughs> to his credit, is, is a monster as well. And then you look at Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, and you've got the young, up-and-coming high flyer mixed with a guy who has been told through his entire career, you're never going to be an entertaining guy. It's just not going to happen. Luchasaurus donned the mask and started doing things no man his size should be doing. The tandem moonsaults between him and Jungle Boy to their four opponents were unbelievable. Uh, Luchasaurus with that spinning heel kick that he calls the tail whip, unbelievable. Top rope double team of uh, Lee and Strickland, that double stomp out of a powerbomb, un-freaking-believable. Un I can't say the word unbelievable enough about this matchup because even though they thought that maybe the fans would get a little bit of a break of from cheering, no, that wasn't the... the the case here. They, the fans were on their feet for this one as well. Uh, ultimately, Jurassic Express picks up a big win. They retain the World Tag Team titles, much to the happiness of Christian, who never got involved in the match except 
to stop Hobbs and Starks from seeding. He never, you know, punched anybody out. He never pulled any the ref out of the ring or anybody from getting a pin. He was strictly trying to stop Hobbs and uh, Starks from cheating. So good on Christian there. I would like to see a small heel, heel turn from here on out, but you never know what AEW is going to do. And then we come to our main event. And by now, ladies and gentlemen, we are at the four-hour and 20-minute mark of this pay-per-view. This was a WrestleMania-esque type of show in that it ran really, really long. But there were so many matches on the card, you kind of understand it. But then you're like, wow, I've been watching since 7 p.m. This is, you know, the buy-in the buy was an hour long, but then the actual pay-per-view just kept going. And Punk and Page, to their credit, gave us exactly what we wanted. We wanted a fight, and we got it. Both men stood toe-to-toe. Neither man took a continuous advantage, uh, except when Punk began toying with Page and hitting the top rope elbow drop, looking for the GTS multiple times, uh, and even looking for a um, the buckshot lariat. <laughs> Adam Page, on the other hand, hit a GTS on Punk. He didn't get all of it, though. Uh, went for the buckshot lariat multiple times as well, and really showed that he can kick ass in the ring. Both of these guys uh, got the fans who were already on their feet back on their feet and cheering. It was a predominantly punk crowd up until the halfway point of the matchup. And then the fans really started to get behind Paige as well. Moment in the match that really caught my eye, and I have to say, I wish it would have happened for his own sake, whether he would have won the match or not. Adam Page had the AEW World Heavyweight title. He looked like he wanted to turn heel or at least just level punk with the belt. He didn't. He thought about it. He held off. And that allowed Punk to capitalize because when he went for the buckshot lariat again, Punk caught him off guard, reversed it, and put up another GTS. Punk gets the win and is the AEW World Heavyweight Champion. The fans in attendance are on their feet. Cult of Personality is playing. And we get an incredible moment of Punk with tears in his eyes thanking the crowd. Uh, after the pay-per-view went off the air, uh, FTR came out to celebrate with Punk. They hugged him. Punk grabbed the microphone and said, hey, guys, do me a favor. Remind me never to try to do a buckshot lariat ever again in my career. Um, <coughs> and it was it was a great showing uh, by everyone at Double or Nothing. Even the matches that were a little bit sloppy, even the matches that didn't make that much sense to be on the show, still delivered and still gave us an incredible pay-per-view. In my opinion, this pay-per-view gets a five out of five. It was, again, another stellar night for AEW. Another debut that happened, before we go into the quick hits, was the debut of former Ring of Honor champion Rush. Uh, he is a member of Los Ingrenobles, um, which is a team that he and Andrade put together. And Rush was introduced as the new business partner of Andrade. Um, and these two are now going to be together. Um, Los Ingrenobles also has a member in um, NATO, Tetsuya NATO, 
who is a New Japan uh, pro wrestler, has been multiple times NJPW World Heavyweight Champion, as well as Intercontinental Champion. So it will be interesting with Forbidden Door about to happen to see if we get a full uh, Los Ingrenobles um, team back together. So on to quick hits. And uh, first thing I'm going to be talking about is the MJF promo or pipe bomb, have you, uh, from AEW Dynamite this week. It was fantastic. It was well-delivered. And I think MJF did everything that he could to get it over. Uh, there have been reports, though, that after he did this, the fans were on his side and cheering. And now whoever they would put him in the ring with would suffer the consequences of no longer being a face and no longer being a heel. Uh, they would just pretty much be booed out of the arena because fans love MJF that much. I don't think that's the case. I think that if they held MJF off of TV for a couple of um, couple of weeks and let him return uh, and then do whatever it is they're going to do with him, he can still be a, a passable heel or an incredible face. MJF does an amazing amount of talking, and he had a lot of key points mentioning that, uh, you know, saying things like, is it because I don't watch New Japan Pro Wrestling? Is it because I don't want to be a part of All Friends Wrestling? Um, you know, I'm not looking for a five-star rating. Uh, you know, mentioning things like uh, former WWE guys coming into AEW and taking the spots away from guys who were there from day one. You know, he really uh, bashed uh, a Dave Meltzer. He took a lot of words from the great Jim Cornette and his um, podcast. Um, it was fantastic. MJF, in my opinion, one of the best here today. Whether he be face, heel, in between, tweener, uh, or if he just wants to call himself a wrestler, it doesn't matter what he is because he's doing a fantastic job. If this is a shoot, and he is legitimately looking to leave AEW and go to the WWE. I hope it's not because I don't think it would work out. I think he'd be successful for about a year, and then they would just pretty much make him a comedy routine. Um, you look at guys like EC3 and um, Eli Drake, who were at the top of the world in uh, Impact. They went to the WWE. Look at both of them now. EC3 left after about a year of them doing nothing with him. And Eli Drake has now had his second name change um, and is now a model agency guy or something on SmackDown. I don't know. Um, so I hope he stays with AEW. And if this is all work, then well done, sir, because you definitely got me invested. And uh, want, I'm wanting to watch more. Second quick hit and the final one of the show, CM Punk. Uh, has sustained injuries. He said that he has a broken foot as well as other injuries that he does need surgery on. And uh, he was going to relinquish the title Friday night on Rampage. Um, but Tony Khan told him that he believes in CM Punk and believes that this is just a bump in the road. Punk will remain AEW champion right now in name only, and they are making an interim champion. There'll be a battle royal this uh, coming Wednesday night on Dynamite 
Uh, and the winner of that will face the number one contender, John Moxley, at Forbidden Door. I'm not going to go into yet who I think it's going to be, but what I will say is this is very heartbreaking to me. I am a huge CM Punk fan. I've always been a CM Punk fan. I cheered him in Impact. I cheered him in Ring of Honor. I cheered him on the Indies. I cheered him in the WWE. I cheered him in his MMA career, and I cheer him now in AEW. Uh, it's, it's hard to see this happen to anyone. It happened to Finn Balor a few years ago at SummerSlam when he became the uh, Universal Champion, the first Universal Champion. Injured his shoulder, had to relinquish the title the next night. Happened to Samoa Joe in NXT uh, during his third title reign. It really sucks. And I hope that Punk has a speedy recovery, and I hope that he comes back even stronger. What I like about what AEW is doing, which most people don't, is having this interim champion allows Punk to come back and go right to the head of the line. They unify the titles, and we've got an AEW full-time champion again, no matter when CM Punk does come back. Um, again, it sucks that he broke his foot and he has other injuries, but he is not the same man that he once was. He's much older, so injury comes a little more often. But in any indication, he does say he will be back and will be back better than ever. As for the interim champion, I would hope that they go with Brian Danielson and that we get Brian Danielson versus Mox. Or Hangman Page gets another go at it and uh, goes one-on-one -on -one with Mox at Forbidden Door. But the one that I think is the dark horse here, and that's if he wants to come to the United States and, and wrestle, uh, before Forbidden Door would be Hiroshi Tanahashi from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mox was calling this guy out six to seven months ago. When Mox was the United States champion, he wanted to fight uh, Tanahashi in New Japan. Tanahashi did not want to come to the United States, and he also did not want to fight Moxley. Moxley finally lost the title to Lance Archer, who then lost it to Tanahashi. And Mox was pissed off about that, that Tanahashi finally fought for the title once he didn't have it. So I think with the bad blood that was engaged already, I think that that could lead to an incredible storyline in that now they're going after a world heavyweight title. You know, Tanahashi wins the Battle Royal. Mox was the number one contender. So let's go. You know, I'd love to see that at Forbidden Door. And it would only make sense because Forbidden Door is meant to be AEW versus uh, New Japan. So why hold off? Go for it. You know what I mean? But in any case, I wish Punk a speedy recovery, and I hope that AEW does all they can to give us a great interim champion so that once Punk comes back, we've got a great feud that we can uh, eventually see. And finally, it is time for Nate Maxson's favorite part of the show, <laughs> and it is what grinds my gears. And what grinds my gears uh, today is the state of WWE, Raw, and SmackDown. You may be saying, well, you don't talk about them that often on the show for you to even have an opinion. Well, here's the thing. I may not talk about them, but I do my best to try to watch them. And I'm going to let everybody in on a slight secret here. I haven't watched a complete episode of Raw or SmackDown since WrestleMania or before WrestleMania. Uh, the last Raw that I watched 
was the night after WrestleMania, and I fast-forwarded through it heavily. Um, the last SmackDown that I watched was the week before WrestleMania. Storylines have been stale. Um, it's been the same continuous matches over and over again, which we all complain about. We always talk about being bad for the product, but that's what's going on. The best thing about the uh, landscape of Raw and SmackDown right now are Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman, was RK-Bro, which Orton is now out due to injury, um, and that was pretty much it. Uh, you got the 24-7 title rolling around constantly, which is just boring and overdone now. Um, Intercontinental Champion Ricochet comes and goes. He's not. He's on TV one week. He's not on TV the next. Guys like Mustafa Ali were forced to come back, even though he wanted to be released, and uh, is now being jobbed out to Austin Theory. Austin Theory as the United States Champion to me is a joke. I find nothing redeeming about this young man. Um, he looks like another carbon copy of the Miz, only he takes selfies instead of doing uh, actual promos. Um, the tag team titles are now unified, and the Usos have them. But here's the funny part. Hell in a Cell is less than a week away. The Usos are not on the card defending the world tag team titles, which are the Raw and SmackDown tag team championships. And Roman Reigns is not on the card defending the unified world heavyweight title, which is the world title and the universal championship. What the hell? So we unify the belts so we don't get to see them on a pay-per-view. Um, you know, and the last pay-per-view they had, Roman Reigns didn't defend the title either. He was in a six-man tag. Is Roman injured? Or uh, are we just giving him a, a laid-back, a lay, more laid-back schedule? Um, the state of Raw and SmackDown absolutely sucks. I don't know who's booking it anymore. I don't really care who's booking it anymore. But they need to amp things up. And this is not so they can be comp in competition with AEW. AEW is barely pulling in a million uh, viewers a week. Okay? And if you look at Rampage, they're not even sometimes hitting the five or 600,000 mark. Um, AEW is doing their own thing on Wednesdays and Friday nights. This is not about competition. Your fans are declining. You have put up some of the worst ratings you have in years. Uh, and it's it's not redeeming. It's not. There's no great qualities going on here. It's just a big old mess. So they need to either tap Nick Khan and tell him, hey, get some better uh, bookers and writers. They need to wake Vince McMahon up from his nap and tell him, hey, fans can't stand us anymore. Uh, we're not the cool company anymore. Or they need to go hit the writers in the back of the head with a two-by-four and tell them, hey, you guys suck. Either amp it up and let's get back to the good old days of Raw and SmackDown again, or you're fired. Because quite frankly, I think Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, and Mick Foley's son was doing a better job than any of these guys have ever done. And, you know, we can't always rely on Bruce Pritchard to get the job done because, in my opinion, Bruce Pritchard is out of touch with wrestling. We can't always allow Vince McMahon to rip up the script uh, every time he doesn't like it an hour before Raw. 
because Vince is out of touch with wrestling. It, it's gotten stale, it's gotten boring, and I can't handle it anymore. And to be honest, like I said, having not watched a full Raw or SmackDown in months, I'm fine with it. I don't need to watch it because there's nothing going on, there's nothing I'm enjoying, and I don't need to keep tuning in to crap. So, that's going to do it for uh, this week's episode. Thank you once again for joining me. Thank you for the continued to support us, uh, the continuous to support us, and uh, thank you guys for always being there. Um, my name is R.T. Mitchell, and I will see you next week on If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking.